So I know it's a little early to be talking about putting away the decorations, but when we finished church here on Friday night, when we finished our our Christmas Eve service, Peter came up to me and he said, so how long are we leaving everything up? I said, Peter, it's, it's Christmas Eve. How many of you take your Christmas stuff down today, like the day after Christmas? You're, 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 I know Boxing Day isn't really about packing up Christmas, but you're using Boxing Day to put everything back in the boxes. Uh, New Year's Day? New Year's Day? Epiphany. My people. My people. I, 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 we keep things up in our, our house through, through Epiphany, and I know some of us keep our tree up year-round. I've heard the story. I've heard the story. It's a great one. The week between Christmas and New Year's is, is usually one of my favorite weeks of the year. It's, it's the week where it's generally acceptable just to be. Just to, to kind of, you know, we, we spend all this energy getting ready for Christmas and excited for Christmas. And then I feel like the week between Christmas and, and New Year's is that week where we just kind of say, Oh, isn't God good? Oh, we've gotten through it. <laughs> oh, it was, it was a great week and now it's time to, to kind of look back on the year and, and to prepare on the new year that's coming. But over the last couple of years, at least for me, it, it's felt a little bit like the, the years just kind of roll from one into the next. I'm not sure if it's because of the ongoing roller coaster of COVID or maybe just because uh, I'm, I'm getting a, a little bit older so I've had enough Christmases to say, hey, all right, there's going to be another one soon. Time to start preparing for 2022. Uh, but a couple months ago when I was trying to figure out where we were going with, with this morning's worship service and, and where we're going to be next Sunday for, for worship, um, I, I remembered the video that we, we just watched, a video that I was introduced to a few years ago. And, and there's a line in it that, that kind of, at least to me, captures what I think of when I think of the lasting impact of Christmas. Right as the man is is holding the nativity ornament in, in the car, he says, the baby is still the Savior, and the Savior is still a gift held out to a world still looking for joy, an earth still waiting for peace, and the peaceful still waiting in wonder of the God who gave his son and the son who gave his life to add us to his family. And one day, welcome us home. For the, for the most part, I think our society does a really good job of preparing for Christmas. It, whether or not the whole society calls it Advent is, is a whole other thing. But pretty much once Thanksgiving ends, we begin preparing for Christmas. But we don't always do a good job of sustaining the celebration. Of sustain, of remembering, say, you know what, we, we, we gotta recognize that, that Christmas impacts what we do throughout the year. The Christmas story and the Easter story, right? They define who we are, they define what we believe about God and, and how much God loves us. The reality is that the God that we celebrate at Christmas as an infant in the manger is the same God who gives us a promise for the future. And that promise should guide how we live each and every day in the present. So it's kind of fitting on the last Sunday of the year that we're looking at a passage out of the last book of the the Bible. Uh, Whenever I talk about Revelation, whether it's it's in church on a Sunday or maybe in a Bible study or somewhere else, I I always mention that that John Calvin, who many consider to be the the father of Presbyterianism, um, preached through the entirety of the Bible multiple times. 
except for Revelation. And when he got to Revelation, he was asked, he said, people said, well, why, why didn't you ever preach on it? And he said, the study of Revelation, it either finds a man mad or leaves him that way. It is a confusing, confusing book. If you, if you just kind of read it with the out of context and just kind of read it from start to finishing, it, it is, it is, don't read it before bed. It's, it's, it'll keep you up. It'll make you think, what in the world is happening? But if you get through the intensity and he admitted odd parts of the book, there are some beautiful truths about God and about God's commitment to humankind. One of the mistakes that we often make about Revelation has to do with the genre that we kind of put it into. The Bible is made up of of a few different types of literary genres. There's poetry, there's prose, there's history, there's metaphors and analogies. Um, When we read the epistles that come right before Revelation, we rightly read them as they're written, they're, they're written as letters. And then when we see that John opens Revelation with a letter to seven churches, we automatically think, oh, This is a letter. This is a letter because it's going to seven churches, so it must fit in the same genre of the books that come right before it. But Revelation doesn't quite look like the other genres or the other letters. It really mimics apocalyptic writing or prophetic writings from the Old Testament. And it includes all kinds of symbolism, all kinds of imagery. It's intentionally mystical and kind of cryptic. So when we get to chapter 21, John has already given instructions to the seven churches, described some some brutal battles that are, are, are going to happen upon Christ's return. And then he describes this new Jerusalem, a vision that describes a, a new normal that's connected to a few types of promises, two of which I think we're reminded of during Christmas. The new normal John describes is something we haven't completely experienced yet. That we haven't completely experienced yet, though we may have seen glimpses of it. We may have seen glimpses of this new experience breaking into our reality every day. And it's something that we should anticipate, something we should be looking toward. It's the place where where the heavenly realm and the earthly realm come together and they collide. It's what we see in the manger. Or it's what we look for when we celebrate Christmas. Now, our job is to allow that reality, the the heaven and the earthly realm colliding, to allow that reality to shape how we live each and every day, how we, we prepare for the immediate future and how we approach the present. A lot of times when people talk about Revelation, they expect the final scene of Scripture to to match the the picture of heaven that's often created in popular culture. You you know the one, it's it's kind of ethereal, it's, it's, it's not necessarily tangible, and really it comes out of Greek mythology. Uh, and has to do with, with, with this, this way it's been passed down through generations of, of, of spirit. And, and, and I'm not saying that we don't believe in spirit and, and, and Christianity either. But it's kind of this ethereal idea of, of what heaven is. But that's not exactly what John describes in Revelation. Instead, we're left with this new heaven and a new earth. Physical spaces 
that collide together forever. And he uses a, a known term, what I like to think of as a, an old term, to describe that new reality. He uses, he uses Jerusalem. He uses Jerusalem. His first readers, they, they would have known or had a thought or a picture of, of what they thought Jerusalem should look like. Because they, they had been taught it for generations and generations. Jerusalem is the place. And now John is talking about a new Jerusalem. So his first readers would, would hear this, this word, Jerusalem, and they'd think of the temple and all of the failed attempts to rebuild it. They, they would think of broken promises and crushed dreams. And they would think of a, a city that was supposed to guide people toward God that, that never really fulfilled its mission. But in the end, John writes, that, that holy city does in fact live up to its purpose just not in the way that anybody expected it to. The promise of a new reality, it, it's shaped by, by two images. First, in, in the beginning of Revelation 21, we, we, we read that there will no longer be any sea. Now remember, I talked about this, this kind of being a different type of genre, right? So there's the, the letter genre, it's a letter, and, and it's also apocalyptic or, or a, a metaphor genre. Well, in a lot of Hebrew poetry... The sea was an image for, for darkness. The sea was an image for um, uh, uh, scary things and, and, and things like that. The sea represented either a dark forth or some sort of, of, of mystery. And so here we're saying, hey, in this new reality, that, that threat, that threat is gone. So first he uses a sea to talk about it. And then the second image is, is relational. The new Jerusalem is introduced as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. It's a picture of intimacy. Like walking into the most amazing home that you can think of. And as you're looking around, as you're admiring the craftsmanship, as you're looking at the art hanging on the wall, the owner walks up beaming with joy and says, Have you met my family? Let me introduce you to my bride. Now, there's nothing quite like, uh, for a pastor, there's nothing quite like officiating a wedding and standing next to the groom as he prepares to see his bride. When the doors open and the bride appears, I always try to look over at the groom to get a glimpse of him looking at his bride. Most times, even the, the toughest, strongest, sternest man will have tears in his eyes. Most times. That's the image we see, the bride, God's people, the church, us, seeing the groom, our creator, looking at us with that same sort of, oh, oh, this, this renewed reality. Some of us need to be reminded that we are loved in that way, that God is wild and crazy about us. It's why we celebrate Christmas. So my, my question for us is, how might that reality that God loves you shape you this next year? The second promise we read about in the vision is that we will never be alone. The ultimate glory that we'll, we'll find in the New Jerusalem isn't its, its physical features. It's the reality that sorrow and suffering will be gone forever. The old order of things will pass away as a new age full of hope 
peace, joy, and love, the things that we, we, we celebrate when we light the Advent candles are ushered in. It's easy to look at this past year and the year before and see all kinds of pain. In one way or another, everyone is, has suffered. I, I was writing, um, writing to somebody the other day and I said, it, it feels like instead of a weary world rejoicing this Christmas, many of us have just grown more weary. We're tired. And if you hear this passage and promise at all like I do, you, you must think, well, well, that's great for the future, but what about for today? What, what, what about now? And as I reflect on this, this verse, it, it's hit me. That, that promise of the future, where there's no more tears, where we're with God, is what God's intention was all along. It's what God longs for us to experience now. So as we think through the year that's coming, and as we go through the inevitable pains of this world, because they will come, we can go through them knowing that God longs to be with us, that we are not alone. I believe that John's vision for the future gives us hope for today. and is a great reminder of why we need to carry the story of Christmas with us everywhere we go. Ultimately, John tells us that we won't suffer because God will dwell with us. What's one of the words that we, we talk about when we talk about Christmas? Emmanuel, God with us. That God will dwell with us. When John uses this sort of language in Revelation, he's reminding us that we'll experience the same sort of joy, the same sort of exhilaration that those who were looking for as they anticipated that first Christmas. May that anticipation shape how we live today and may we cling to the promises that John gives us for tomorrow. Let's pray.